Well, good morning, and welcome to winter. It's cold, isn't it, out there? Welcome to 2022. There's a lot new in 22. In addition to new service times coming next month, we've also got a new series this morning. We're starting a series in the book of Jonah, and we've got a treat for you. Out in the foyer, we're selling uh, uh, books from Dr. Yarborough. He was here a few months ago. He helped out in our First Timothy series. He's coming back. He's joining our teaching team for this Jonah series, and so we're going to sell his book. It's a commentary, a devotional commentary. It's really good, and you can pick it up at your local retailer. You can pick it up in the foyer, and uh, I think you will enjoy it, and you could read it as we're studying through the book of Jonah in January. Hey, other things that new that are going on, we've got some training center classes, and so we've got uh, new classes. They're starting next Sunday. And um, basically, the one class is personal Bible study. The second one is a line, and a line is a personal finance class, or basically aligning your heart with the, the God's vision for your finances. And it's really encouraging. If you've never taken anything like it, I encourage you to do it. It starts next Sunday. You can sign up for it just by the, uh, scanning the QR code or going to the website. And then we've also got some uh, care ministry classes, grief share and divorce care. And those start in about a week as well. I encourage you, jump in on that if that interests you. Also, we've got a special opportunity for you to connect. Um, I left my cup of coffee sitting right there, but I'm not going to go get it. But we want to invite you. Our staff would love, if you are new or you just don't feel connected here at Fellowship, we would love to buy you a cup of coffee. And how that could work is you stop by the booth in the foyer and just say, I would love to connect with one of your staff. And, and maybe, let me give you an example. Maybe you have a, a high school student that's having trouble getting connected. Our high school ministry, our fellowship student ministry staff would love to buy you a cup of coffee. Or if you're, you're new to fellowship or maybe you're tuning in online and you just want to get connected here, we would love the opportunity to sit down, hear your story, and just figure out how we can get you connected here at Fellowship. And you can, you can do that by scanning the QR code. You can go to the Fellowship app, or you can stop by the booth in the foyer, and we would love to connect with you and get you connected in 2022. Hey, I want to start our service off by praying this morning, so will you join me as I pray? Lord, we're so grateful that we get to gather. Lord, we're so grateful for... Just what you seem to be doing in our area and in our church. Lord, we pray in our hearts. And Lord, as we begin this study in, in this new book of the Bible in Jonah, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning. That we would be a people who desire to grow closer to you. That chase after you and not run from you. And Lord, would you walk with us Lord, would you challenge us and would you teach us from your word today? This morning, we have the opportunity to sing the heart of God. God is creator and sustainer of the universe. And so as we sing, we invite you to worship with us this morning. No point of reference, 
stand with us as we continue to worship. We're singing of his goodness this morning and his faithfulness. Good. 
This morning, we're going to sing a song over you that was written out of the body here at Fellowship. Ryan Burton and Dave Matthews and Kelly Parks down in Fayetteville were reading through the book of Jonah. And as they were reading through the book of Jonah, the Lord laid on them a desire to, to write a song. A song that we would sing during the series that would draw our hearts to the truth of God's word. As we see in the book of Jonah, we see the grace and the mercy of our Lord, a compassionate God. And the prayer of this song is that God would remind us of his love, that the mercy that he showed the Ninevites is the same mercy that he shows us, a people who are walking in darkness. We've seen a great light, the tender mercy of our God. So as we sing this over you, we pray that you worship that you don't have to sing this morning because you don't know it yet, but it's a fun song of God's faithfulness and his goodness. So we invite you to worship as we sing. Where shall we go? escape your glory no valley low no mountain on high when billows roll we cry for your mercy you remind us of your love and how your grace flows over our 
millions you search and know the depths of our souls our hearts are formed more like you Jesus as your love so that you have shown us. We thank you for your love and your grace that you've poured out on us. So this morning as we come before your word, would you teach us to trust and to obey, to be a people of the word and a people of your presence. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, fellowship. Hey, before you guys leave, 
I just want y'all to know that when I got here at 6.30 this morning, it was still dark outside and it was snowing. They were already in here rehearsing. It got up in 10 degrees to serve you. And I just wanted to say thank you to all of you for always doing what you do. And our buildings and grounds team, our facilities team, they beat them here. They were here at 5.30 out there with uh, leaf blowers blowing off the walks and salting the walks. So thank you to them as well. They serve us so well. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Jonah. Today we begin our new winter series in this Old Testament book of prophecy. Jonah is one of our 39 books in the Old Testament. It is one of 17 books of prophecy and one of 12 books classified as a minor prophet. Now, being a minor prophet doesn't mean that the message of Jonah is lesser or insignificant. It simply means that it's shorter. Major prophets have longer books. Minor prophets have shorter books. In fact, Jonah only contains 48 verses. It's delivered to us in four chapters. But it is a power-packed literary masterpiece. And we'll cover it in four weeks, taking one chapter per week. And by the way, after that, we'll jump over to another Old Testament book, the book of Ruth, and we'll cover it in four weeks as well. If you're new to fellowship, my name is Sam Hannon. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and this is what we do. We take books of the Bible and we teach them to you verse by verse. Jonah is a book of prophetic history told to teach a lesson through irony and even humor. I think you'll find this book to be interesting and challenging and even entertaining. Now, when we say it is prophetic history, what we mean is that it is not a fable or an allegory or a parable. Jonah was a real person. He was a real prophet. He's mentioned in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. The city he was assigned to preach to, the city of Nineveh, is a real place and their story, their story is treated as fact by Jesus in the New Testament. The time period for the book is around 750 B.C. It takes place in a period of biblical history known as the divided monarchy. So for those of you who are graduates of our training center class entitled Panorama of the Bible, where we deliver biblical history to you in 12 movements, mark your biblical timeline in movement 7, kingship divided. Jonah was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II, and King Jeroboam, like his father, was an evil king ruling in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he led the nation away from God. Here are some key features of the book. The book features over and over again God displaying his sovereign power over nature. We'll see even today God display his power over a storm, his power over the sea, Later, we'll see his power over plants and temperature and, of course, a great fish and even power over worms in the earth. We'll see in the book God's heart for all pe people being featured. We'll see that God has mercy on all. He has compassion and love for all, both the children of Israel and the Gentile nations. He even has mercy on wayward prophets. We'll see the prominence of prayer featured in the book. Prayer is featured in all four chapters of Jonah and all characters in the story at some point pray to a God. Ultimately, the book is a contrast. 
It is contrasting the prophet Jonah with the Gentile or unbelieving or pagan characters in the story. The book can be divided into two sections. Chapters 1 and 2 tell the story of Jonah's flight from God. Chapters 3 and 4 tell the story of Jonah's mission to Nineveh. But check this out. They both follow the exact same structure and outline. It's by design. In both sections, it opens with God's word coming to the prophet. But each section delivers a different response from Jonah. In today's section, we'll see Jonah runs from God. In the second section, he obeys God. In both sections, Jonah speaks with unbelievers about God. And in both sections, we see the same response. The Gentiles, or the pagan, unbelieving characters, come to believe in the Lord. In both sections, we have a disaster averted. Today, it's a great storm on the sea. And section two, it will be God's judgment is averted for the city of Nineveh. And both sections close with Jonah talking or even you might call it complaining to God and God gives him the same response in both sections, a rebuke. We are offering a companion resource. You can pick it up in the foyer. I think they're $12, but Dr. Mark Yarbrough has written a great commentary on the book. Now, if the word commentary intimidates you because you think of it as being like dry and, and not very exciting, that's not what this is. It's actually a devotional commentary You'll find it very intriguing and inspirational, so pick one up. And Mark will be here next week teaching us chapter 2, and so I'm really excited for us to have him again. Well, we've got a lot to cover, so we better get started. So Jonah chapter 1, let's pick it up in verses 1 and 2. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The story starts off by introducing us to the main character in the story. So think with me. Who is the main character of the book of Jonah? Now don't jump out there just yet. Hold on. Because it may surprise you. The main character in the book is not Jonah. And the main character in the book is not a great fish. So who's the main character? Well, it's right here in the introduction. The primary player in the story is the Lord. The book begins with the Lord. The book ends with the Lord. And all throughout, the Lord is consistently and primarily the focus of the book. In Bible study, we are taught to look for repetition. Hear these stats about the book of Jonah in our 48 verses. Jonah is mentioned 19 times in the book. The big fish is mentioned four times in the book. All other human characters combined are, are mentioned 13 times in the book. The Lord, 40 times in the book. The almighty, sovereign God is without question the central focus. He has shown speaking and hearing and sending and appointing and providing and commanding and questioning. Now, the book begins, as you would expect, prophetic history to begin. The narrative begins with the word of the Lord coming to the prophet. The man of God received a word from God. And as a reader, you expect something noteworthy to follow. I think you could consider verses 1 and 2 to be a commissioning 
of the prophet. Jonah is given a mission here. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. Note that the word used here for God in the Hebrew is the word Yahweh. It is translated for us, the English readers, as Lord. Yahweh is the most personal and holy name for God. When used, it is reminding us that he is the one and only God of creation who is exclusively superior to all others. Now, the book of Jonah was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. So the translators give us a clue when the word Yahweh is used for God. It notates it in the English in all caps. Do you see that in the text? And so the word of Yahweh, Yahweh will be used 26 times in the book, comes to the prophet Jonah. The words of God come to the messenger of God. The name Jonah means dove or peace, which is ironic because as you will see soon in the story, Jonah is a man who is at anything but peace. And he is even reluctant to be an agent of peace. So Jonah is commissioned by the Lord to go and preach to the great city of Nineveh. We'll see several great things in our chapter today, a great wind, a great storm, and of course, a great fish. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which is located today in Iraq. And in the 700s BC era, the Assyrians were known as brutal conquerors and embracers of immorality. They did not show their enemies mercy. Their battle strategy called not only for total destruction, but also humiliation of those they conquered. They were known to decapitate their victims and pile their heads as a trophy on the battlefield. They would dismember their enemies or impale them, leaving them alive to suffer. They were even known to, to flay their victims, attaching ropes to their hands and their feet, stretching their skin tight to maximize their pain. How do we know this? Because they bragged about it in their history books. Now, when I say history books, I don't mean written history. I mean carved history like this. They found these limestone reliefs or carvings on the palaces of the Assyrian kings. Much of them have been recovered. You can see them in the British Museum in London. And there they bragged about their barbarian tactics. So Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, the dove, is sent to preach to the Assyrians at Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah is one of, <clears throat> excuse me, two prophets assigned to prophesy against the Assyrians. The other is Nahum. But Jonah's prophetic calling is unique. He was not called to speak God's word from Israel to the Assyrians. He was called to go to Nineveh. This was an out of the ordinary, unprecedented calling for a prophet of Israel to be sent to a Gentile nation, especially a hostile one. So that's how the book opens. The God of Israel, Yahweh, bringing his word and his assignment to the prophet of Israel, Jonah. But what happens next brings an unexpected twist or tension to the story. Look at verse three. But Jonah ran away. Normally, you would expect the next line in prophetic history to be, and the prophet of the Lord went to Nineveh. We see it all throughout. 
The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah obeyed the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Elijah obeyed the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. He obeyed the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he ran away from the Lord and headed not to Nineveh, but to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah did not obey. Instead, he ran away from the Lord, not to Nineveh, but to Tarshish, which most Bible commentators agree is somewhere in Spain. He was asked to go 550 miles to the east. He went 2,500 miles to the west. He was asked to travel on land. He took to the sea. He was called to the great city of Nineveh, and he went to the relatively unknown destination as far away as possible in the known European world, a city called Tarshish, Jonah ran away from the Lord. Why did he flee? Well, we're not given the reason for Jonah's running away in chapter one. We are later in the book from Jonah's own lips, but there are a number of explanations that could make sense. Here's one. Jonah was scared. How would you like to be assigned to go call out a brutal and conquering empire like the Assyrians? Or... Maybe Jonah had some sort of prejudice, that he held some sort of bias that was religious or racial or even ethnic towards the Assyrians. He didn't want them to hear the word of God. God's mercy is for us, not them. And he didn't want to share the message with the Ninevites because he feared they might actually repent. He wanted them to receive God's wrath, not his mercy. So Jonah ran away. He tried to escape God's will and his purpose and his plan for his life. Have you ever been there? Running away from God? Trying to distance yourself from his will or his purpose or his people? Maybe you're here today, it's the first Sunday of 2022 and it's your first time back in the house of God in a long time. Because you've been on the run. I just want you to know we're glad you're here. And we're here to help. Back to the story. The Lord had a prophet of God running from his sovereign will. So he sovereignly intervened to get the prophet's attention. Look at verse 4. It says, then the Lord, Yahweh, sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and they cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Jonah refused to go to the great city so the Lord sent a great storm. And it was a massive storm, so violent that it actually threatened the integrity of the ship's hull. So intense that even the sailors were afraid. So furious that they took drastic measures at great expense and probably threw their paycheck with the cargo into the sea. It was so powerful that everyone got religious quick. You know, it's a scary storm when sailors stop cussing and start praying. And don't forget that this is not their first time to be in a storm. 
They faced storms all the time. It was furious. So they began to cry out to their gods. Note in the text that the word God is a lowercase g. It's a different Hebrew word than the word Yahweh. It's the word Elohim. Elohim is a more common word for God. It can be used to reference the God of creation. And the English translators note that with a capital G. Or it can be used to refer to pagan deities. And don't miss the point. The author is contrasting the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth with the pagan deities of the sailors. So everyone was fearing. Everyone was praying except the prophet. Everyone was working for the common good except Jonah. Where is Jonah? He's taking a nap. He was asleep. Jonah lay below deck in lethargic apathy. Maybe he was worn out from carrying the guilt and the shame that comes with being a renegade prophet. You know, a heavy heart can take a physical toll. The captain finds him below deck and says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. What a role reversal for the prophet. He's usually the one calling on others to go to God, yet he's being called to prayer by a pagan sailor. How ironic. The very thing that Jonah didn't want to do, talk to Gentiles about God, he's actually doing anyway. The captain is lecturing him on the potential effectiveness of prayer. And as their desperation escalates, the sailors continue to seek relief from the pending catastrophe. Look at verse 7. The sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. They asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble on us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Casting lots was a method of determining an outcome by asking God to reveal his specific will through something that would normally be randomly decided. It could have been done a number of ways, like casting die or maybe drawing the short straw or even drawing Jonah's name out of the hat, but don't miss the point. The sovereign hand of God picked the exact one, Jonah. He was divinely implicated. And once the responsibility for the storm was assigned to Jonah, the sailors performed a social and spiritual investigation into his life by peppering him with five rapid-fire questions. They wanted to know his occupation, his hometown, his nationality, his ethnicity, and ultimately, who was causing this calamity. Jonah, what did you do? Now think about it. The reasoning here is actually pretty sound theologically. Sin and rebellion result in consequence. Author and preacher Tim Keller wrote a great commentary on the book of Jonah. And he said this, the Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. That's a good one to hang on for 2022. The sailors wanted to find out the root cause of their current calamity, so they asked Jonah, who are you 
And what have you done? Jonah gets right to the root of the problem in his answer. Look at verse 9. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship Yahweh, the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Jonah makes a grand identifying statement. He says, I am a Hebrew, a chosen one of Israel, a child of God, a worshiper of Yahweh who created the what? The sea. And look at the reaction from the sailors when Jonah finally connects the dots for them between the raging sea and the rebellion of the prophet to the creator of the sea. At this statement, they were terrified. What have you done? If you are a worshiper of the creator of the sea and the sea is in chaotic turmoil, then what did you do to make God so mad? The spotlight is shining brightly on Jonah and the responsibility lay all at his feet. And with the investigation over, the sailors moved on to identifying a solution for the problem. Look at verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for all of us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So as the winds and the waves continued to intensify, the sailors looked for a remedy. As each wave washed over the deck and as the ship encountered dangerous swells, they knew that time was running out. And after identifying Jonah as the cause of the calamity, they asked him, what should we do to you to make this calm down for all of us? And his remedy would be to offer him as a sacrifice, to throw him into the sea, to appease the wrath of God. He, he said, maybe if we remove me, the guilty party, the things will grow calm again. And I wonder if Jonah here is having a redemptive moment. If he's accepting his guilt. If he is making a sacrifice for the good of others. Or the skeptical side of me wonders. Maybe he wants to be thrown into the sea to assure that he never has to go to Nineveh. That his heart is so hardened towards the possible repentance of the Assyrians that he would rather die than accept this assignment from God. Well, the sailors wanted no part in taking the life of a prophet of God. So look at verse 13. They actually tried to save him instead of throwing him into the sea. The men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to Yahweh, the Lord. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Yahweh, have done as you please. They resisted throwing Jonah into the sea. The sailors tried to row back to land through the storm, but the storm intensified now for the third time, making it impossible for them And their efforts dripping with irony. Jonah, who is running from God in rebellion to his calling to save 
Gentiles has Gentiles trying to save him. But with their rowing efforts failing, the Gentiles again turn to prayer. But note this time who they pray to. They're not praying to their own pagan deities, lowercase g, Elohim. They're praying to who? The God of Jonah. The Lord, all caps, Yahweh. The pagan sailors had prayed to their gods with no answer. They had called all to prayer with no answer. Now they turn to pray to Jonah's God. The only one on the ship not praying is who? Jonah, the prophet. So it was time to hand the prophet over to the God he was running from. Look at verse 15. They tossed Jonah into the sea. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared Yahweh, the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh, the Lord, and made vows to him. Jonah was thrown to his death. He was tossed into a raging sea. He was expected to sink to the bottom. The sailors knew this. They had already asked for forgiveness for Jonah's death before they sent him over the side of the boat because they knew that his fate would be sealed at that point. And for them, this was confirmed when the seas grew calmed. It was assumed that Jonah's life was the payment for the smooth waters. Note the downward cycle of Jonah in the story. As he ran from the will of God, he went down to Joppa to board the ship. Upon boarding, he went down into the belly of the ship, and now he's going down into the sea. Dr. Yarbrough noted the downward trajectory of Jonah's sin in his book. He says the observant reader of the text soon notices that running from the Lord leads to a downward cycle. Disobedience leads to descent. And note the effect that Jonah's descent had on those above. When Jonah went into the sea, the water above became calm. The storm dissipated just as quickly as it arose. Suddenly, the raging sea became still. Like a prophetic Pepto-Bismol tablet, Jonah's being thrown into the sea calmed and soothed the upset waters. And look at the effect the miracle had on the sailors after witnessing the power of nature being harnessed in the sovereign hand of Yahweh, they turned to him in belief. They worshiped him. The scriptures say, at this, meaning after seeing the miraculous calming of the sea, the men greatly feared Yahweh, the Lord. They witnessed a miracle, a sign, and they came to faith. The storm and the divine intervention led the pagan sailors to genuine trust in the God of Jonah. The story is contrasting Jonah with these pagan, unbelieving sailors. They were crying out to God. Jonah was running away from God. They were working for the common good, throwing the cargo into the sea while Jonah slept below deck. They tried to save Jonah while he resisted saving the Ninevites. They worshiped God, Jonah merely professed to worship God. And in a time of biblical history, when the nation of Israel, specifically the northern kingdom in which Jonah the prophet served, had turned away from the Lord. And in a time of biblical history, when Jonah the prophet had turned away from the Lord, the Lord was showing Jonah and the nation and us what true trust 
in him looks like. Again, it's ironic. Jonah had run away from the Lord because he didn't want the pagan Ninevites to come to know the Lord. And here he was being used by the Lord so that pagan sailors could come to know the Lord. Back to the story. While throwing the prophet into the ocean saved the ship, it put Jonah in peril. He became a man overboard in dangerous waters, sinking to the bottom of the ocean with no one to help. And while the seas above grew calm, the storm raged on for Jonah as he sank to his death. The end. Right? No, we have one more verse. Enter the hero of the story in verse 17. The mercy of God showed up in a powerfully providential yet peculiar fashion. Verse 17, the most well-known verse in the entire book. Now the Lord provided, yours might say, appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. The Lord sovereignly provided a merciful rescue for Jonah. Verse 17 is a reversal of the expected course of the story. Look at those first four words. The Lord provided. The Lord appointed. The Lord moved in mercy. A great God commanded a great fish to rescue a wayward prophet. A rebellious prophet. He's a merciful God. He is a gracious God. He is a God who saves. The Lord was saving the souls and the lives of the sailors above. And he's saving the life of the prophet below. Now many of us know this story as the story of Jonah and the what? But the Bible doesn't actually tell us that it was a whale, you heretics. It merely says a great fish. Now, it probably, most likely, was a whale. And many assume that. But the point here is that Jonah was saved by the sovereign and merciful hand of God who sent a large sea creature to save him from drowning. Now, many struggle with accepting the entire Bible because of this story found in Jonah. They think that this is just too big of a miracle or too much of a story to take in. So they write off this book and some write off the whole book. They relegate it to being at this point an allegory or a parable, a made-up story thrown alongside a central truth and they only accept it as fable. Tim Keller said this about the factual nature of the story in his commentary. He said, if you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Christ, which is a far greater miracle, then there's nothing particularly difficult about reading Jonah literally. According to Keller, there are miracles that are much greater to accept than the tale of a fish saving a sinking prophet. And if Keller is not a good reference for you, Jesus accepted this story as historical fact. In Matthew chapter 12, he said, For as Jonah was in the belly of the, or as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, 
So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, spoiler alert, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Two pretty sound references, Jesus and Keller. But if that's not enough for you, and you're still a skeptic, maybe some recent news might just open your minds to the possibility a little. This last summer, a lobster diver named Michael Packard was diving for lobsters up in Cape Cod, and he actually ended up, guess where? In the mouth of a whale. One of the great miracles of the Bible is pointing us to the greatness of God. Don't miss the point. Don't miss the sovereign, almighty, powerful hand of God moving to enact his purpose and will on this earth. Don't miss his compassion and mercy and love being delivered through his power and might. And don't miss the main character in the story enacting his will through his sovereign hand. It was the word of the Lord that came to Jonah. It was the Lord who sent the great wind on the sea. It was the Lord who identified Jonah through casting of lots. It was the Lord who calmed the sea. It was the Lord who appointed or provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. The winds obey him. The waves obey him. Even the fish obey him. The only one who didn't seem to obey him was Jonah. And the Lord was sovereignly guiding his life as well. And the Lord's mission to bring good news to an unbelieving world would not be stopped. Please note and don't forget the big idea. You can't run away from the sovereignty of God. You can't escape his purposes and plans. His providence rules without limitation. You can't evade his love and you can't elude his will. You can't outsmart, outwit, overpower, or overthrow him for he is the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. And there's good news. He is slow to anger, rich in mercy, and abounding in love. And the greatest news of all is that you can't outrun his grace. Despite your best efforts to remove yourself from his love, to turn away from his truth, in the midst of our unfaithfulness, he remains faithful, unmoved by our disobedience, determined to keep us in his favor. So what a privilege what an honor it is to serve a God whose might is unfathomable and whose love is incomprehensible. So may we run to him and never away from him. And as we head into a new year with all the days before us on a blank page, may we be found in the middle of his will, surrendering obediently to our God. Would you pray with me?
Well, Lord, we recognize you as the sovereign, almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. And we are here to follow you and surrender to your plans, your word, and your will. So, Lord, as we look upon the days before us in 2022, would you work in us and through us to proclaim who you are to the watching world around us. Lord, we praise you for your love and your mercy even when we run away. It's in your name, the name of King Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we affirm these truths in song? never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me.
that in truth today as we worship you, that your love never fails, it never gives up, and it never runs out on us. Jesus, in, even in our Jonah moments, when we run from you, when we do everything we can possibly do to keep you at bay, Jesus, you chase us down and you love us, and we see that in the cross. You're relentless in the way you love us. You never give up, you never fail, and you never run out. You'll always be with us. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this truth. Amen. Fellowship, we love you guys. The Thompsons are in the prayer room if you need prayer. But if not, we'll see you next week.